When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Bye week this time of year for the Ravens. But we have some other games to talk about this week. We have a Ravens game to preview. It is officially Steelers week with a very good Pittsburgh team going up against a very good Baltimore team. We're going to talk all about that. I am Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts. First of all, on the East Coast, not really in Washington, we're getting a little sneak peek behind the curtain of, uh, of Mr. Tim Horsey's OG bedroom. Tim, how's it going over there? It's good, my friend. Yeah, I'm, I'm back where it all started, I guess. Uh, you know, on a Ravens bye week, usually there's not a ton to talk about, but I have to say, this is probably the best bye week the Ravens have had in a very long time, outside of the Steelers being very good, which we'll get into. But other than that, I'm doing very well, my friend. The, I don't know, list of good things that can happen to a football team on a bye week. Every team in their division loses, which could not have happened this week because some of those teams played each other. And then next on that list is the team you root for makes some moves, which we will talk about shortly. But first, want to introduce our West Coast correspondent, Jace Evans. Jace, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing well, Antonio. Fall is here. The Ravens did some great things. The football was great on Sunday. Uh, and I'm ready uh, to talk about it with you all, so I'm ready to dive into it. It's going to be a fun one. Football was great on Sunday, Jace. We, Jace and I talked before the show started about how when there's no Ravens game, it's weird how less stressed out we are and how much <laughs> football is just an enjoyable sport to watch on television. But there are also really good games Cleveland-Cincinnati played an awesome game. 
Detroit-Atlanta played a fun game that may not have been awesome for Atlanta. Uh, New Orleans squeaked out a game over Carolina. Pittsburgh, we'll talk about a lot of close games, games decided by a field goal. But before we turn to the NFL, we want to talk about those Ravens. And they made uh, a move during the bye week when everybody was sleeping. Some news came out about the Ravens trading for a player. And I'm going to let Tim take this one. I, I want to, Tim, take the honors of DaCosta just running Wall Street better than most other traders. What, what did he do over the bye week? You know, I have to say, it is just such a blessing to have a team that was run by a Hall of Fame GM that is now run, or should be Hall of Fame GM, already Hall of Fame player. I don't know if he, he might be in for both. Who knows? If he's not, he should be. And then is now run by his protege, who is more aggressive, and who knows, by the end of this, may be better. Uh, And I'm talking about, obviously, the Maryland boy coming home, Yannick Ngakwe, from the Minnesota Vikings. The Ravens basically gave up less than what Minnesota gave up to get him from Jacksonville. And now the Ravens actually have a premier pass rusher. And no, I'm not trying to throw shade on Matt Judon three minutes into this podcast. But Yannick Ngakwe, a clear premier guy off the edge in this league, is a Baltimore Raven. And, you know, I know you wanted to throw it to me. I'm going to throw it to Jace. Jace, initial thoughts, bud. What were you thinking when this trade came down? Because all of mine were just joyful expletives that I can't say on this show. Yeah, I I was very excited. They've kind of had their eye on Ngakwe and just star pass rushers in general. They tried to do some very strange finagling, I believe, for Jadavion Clowney back in the the offseason. But uh, yeah, to land this guy, you've kind of had your eye on for, as you said, a price that's really unbelievable, the deal they're getting on it. And we saw it last year kind of with the Marcus Peters trade too, a similar in-season trade for a defensive star. Yannick Ngakwe is a real star in this league. He's really good. He's really productive. And he's kind of, you know, I think we said on this program last week, uh, our complaints um, uh, and fears about the just the state of the pass rush, right? And uh, this is directly addressing that. <laughs> he, is, he is a premier pass rusher in this uh, league. He's been very productive. He's made Pro Bowls. Um, and, uh, yeah, I I was over the moon for it. Like you said, uh, I know the numbers say Matt Judon gets QB pressures. He gets QB hits. But he does not get sacks at the rate Yannick Ngakwe does. Uh, and to just add him into this defensive mix, uh, I was really impressed. Especially for how little, you know, he's on the franchise tag. Um, so it's a very short-term deal. You're not giving up dramatic draft assets. But you're dramatically improving the team in season. I think it's a great move. It is very likely uh, that DaCosta was listening to Pod Like a Raven when we addressed <laughs> what needs were most important for this roster. And he said, you know what, guys, you're right. And looked at the defensive line over the offensive line to make a, a serious move here. But, yeah, this is an awesome trade. The, it's awesome to get the player. It's awesome what you did to get him. Uh, the Vikings had given a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick for him. He played for a month on the team. It's not like he performed poorly in that one month. Uh, He had five sacks and two forced fumbles through six games with the Vikings. So, in theory, the performance is as good as you would want. And then the Ravens give a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick for him a month later. Uh, I feel like the Ravens just sort of own the Vikings in trades. I feel like this has happened more than once now, and I don't know what's going on over there in Minnesota, but... 
you absolutely love sort of being able to finagle these these picks and and trade you know small value for big value. Uh, Ngakwe, over his four seasons in Jacksonville prior to this season, averaged nine and a half sacks. I mean, it's just the perfect fit. He's going to slot right in. Um, and now all we have to do is address the offensive line. So uh, we'll see how that happens week uh, week by week. But obviously an awesome move there. Uh, and I believe uh, the number 91 is not taken currently uh, by any Ravens. So he's not even a jersey number change. Great football number, too, really. That 91. Courtney Upshaw didn't wear it as well as we would have hoped. Hopefully Ngakwe can do a little bit better with that 91. It's just clean. I really like it. Um, you know, you talk about this Baltimore defense, and we'll get into it when we, when we preview the matchup later in the show, but I am not as high, and I think the two of you would agree, on the Ravens' defense as the national media seems to be because with the Ravens, you get this sort of, Oh, but they've always been good, right? And look, the Ravens have talent everywhere, and, and they are a good defense, but they're not elite-level great, uh, in my opinion, anyway. This might bring them there. Um, you, you talk about Ngakwe, 42.5 sacks in 69 career games is an uh, absolutely absurd number for a guy who is still in the prime of his career. He wants to be here. He's a childhood Ravens fan, something that, you know, we're getting that generation of player now with the team only being around from 1996. He said that he initially thought he would end up in Baltimore before the Minnesota trade, and now he gets to come home. He's going to be motivated. He's going to pair with Calais Campbell, who those two, if you don't remember those good Jacksonville years, which no one would uh, no one would fault you for that because they were very <laughs> brief, but that defense was called Saxonville, and part of the reason was because of Yannick Ngakwe and Calais Campbell. Well, now they're both in Baltimore ready to wreak havoc. I mean, this team already gives up the fewest points per game in the league with 17.3. And now you have another impact guy on that level. Um, it's it's going to take some time to get in. But but there's there's ramifications all over the place. I want to talk about how we think this gonna, is going to affect this defense. First of all, too, I will say I am way happier that they got Ngakwe rather than Antonio's favorite Jadavion Clowney in the offseason. Uh, obviously, we didn't think this would be an option. Eric DaCosta pulled another one out of the hat. But for me, first of all, you have this lockdown secondary that goes zero coverage a lot because you're going to send the house. Wink doesn't have to do that now. Now, whether he will or he won't, we'll see. (laughs) He'll probably still send eight guys, even with Judon and Ngakwe on the field at the same time. But one, maybe he can rush four and the Ravens can get pressure rushing four, even five. And if they can do that, with that secondary, I mean, it's game over. That is when I'm going, this team is now at an elite level. And really, we give them a lot of stick on this show, and for good reason, in my opinion. But this frees up a Matthew Judon. He doesn't have to be the main guy now, in all seriousness. He doesn't have to be the dude. And I think that this is going to allow him to flourish and Ngakwe to flourish. And then, Jace, as we were talking about a little bit you know, earlier in the week and before the show, then you sign one of them. Because now they're both, they're both contracts are up at the end of the year. But in theory, you get to sign one of these guys afterwards, you hope anyway, and you still get to keep a premier pass rusher. And don't forget, the Ravens love their compensatory picks. If you don't know what a compensatory pick is, what happens is if you lose a high-grade free agent to free agency, the following season you'll get a compensatory pick in the draft. It can go anywhere from like the third round to the sixth round, I believe, or fifth round, something like that. Matthew Judon and Ngakwe for their production, for the number they're going to get from another team um, if they leave, and for the position they play, pass rusher, which is one of the most premier positions in the NFL, the Ravens are going to recoup a third-round pick for that. (laughs) 
So that basically means if they signed Ngakwe, right? And let's just say because, you know, at the moment, and we still have to see how he's going to play in a Baltimore uniform. At the moment, I think we would all say at the end of the season, if we could pick one, we'd rather Ngakwe stay with the team rather than Matthew Judon. Whether you think that's unfair or not, that's just our opinion. I, I know I can speak for both of my guys here. Either way, whichever one of them leave, the Ravens will have rented Ngakwe or signed him to a long-term deal for a fifth-round pick because they're going to get a third back, and they gave up a third and a fifth in the trade. It is highway robbery that they were able to bring in a premier player like that. And it, and like you said, Jace, Eric Dacosta is the king of this. He traded Kenny Young for Marcus Peters last year, and Peters <laughs> ends up being an all-pro, signing a two-year extension. I mean – Credit to this front office, man. And for me, I, I went all over the place there a little bit. We can talk about how you think the signings are going to work out or how you think this is going to affect the defense. But for me, this is a no-lose situation for Baltimore because worst comes to worst, he gets a couple of – he's good at – he's too good to be a complete bust, in my opinion. So worst comes to worst, he doesn't blow the doors off. One of the two leaves, and the Ravens get a third-round pick in the 2021 draft. Yeah, I mean, I I think you wrapped it a pretty good bow on everything. But yeah, I it's just such smart asset management by the front office. And um, like you said, uh, they are both Matt Judon and both Yannick Ngakwe are on the franchise tag. So technically, they can't even actually negotiate uh, contracts um, under the CBA until after the season, uh, the way the franchise tag works. But um so you know, I, I imagine they're not going to let both of them walk. I don't see that happening. So as you said, they're going to retain one. Uh, and, you know, it's an immediate upgrade for this season. It's such a, a good short-term fix where, for what we said this team's issues were, you know, generating pressure with four. You add, like, one of the top guys on the market uh, – at generating pressure for a lot affordable price. You know, there's talk, talks that J.J. Watts possibly on the table out there, uh, the way things are going in Houston, but they don't have a first-round pick. And so uh, getting a guy like J.J. Watts probably going to cost a first-round pick. As you said, they essentially traded one fifth-round pick <laughs> for, for Yannick Ngakwe, the way the compensatory selections are probably going to shake out. It, at worst, they lose a third, but will gain a fourth or something. Uh, it's just incredible. And I think it's for, like... For a short-term move, it's so low risk. Uh, Ngakwe actually even took less money uh, this year to sign the franchise tag and do the trade uh, than Jacksonville. I think he is making $5 million less than he was eligible to make if uh, he'd, I think, re-signed with Jacksonville, uh, just the way the tag system works. So it's just so low risk. It's just such a brilliant move, I think. And, I, and like I said, and you said... Pairing him with Calais Campbell, who is when they both collectively had their greatest successes as players, is playing across from each other. Uh, I don't know how that can be a bad thing. So uh, we just saw Campbell have his best game with the Ravens. So I'm very uh, excited about this move. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too hyped, and I want to let Antonio speak because I know this sometimes just becomes Jason and I get way too excited. <laughs> we wound each other up, and then that's the podcast. But that point there is so big that – He's already got a guy that he's not only played with, but has performed at a very, very high level with. I mean, this comes from the ESPN story. Uh, it reunites Jaguars teammates Ngakwe and Clayus Campbell, who the Ravens obviously brought in this offseason for, guess what, another fifth-round selection for an All-Pro. They were on the field together for 1,829 snaps over three seasons in Jacksonville from 2017 to 2019. 
and were the starting defensive ends for that Jaguars team that made it to the AFC championship game and almost the Super Bowl if Blake Bortles wasn't Blake Bortles. I mean, (laughs) the fact that they have this continuity already, he can go in and kind of play behind Campbell. You imagine they maybe line him up on the same side as well, uh, where you get you let Calais eat, take one or two of the guys, and get Ngakwe off the edge, and then you got Judon on the weak side too if you need it. Come on! Are you kidding me? The pass rush is back in Baltimore, man. I cannot <laughs> wait to see it against Pittsburgh this weekend. I love the timing of it too. I mean, we've talked in in the last few weeks about this stretch that we saw coming after the bye, which is Pittsburgh at Indy, at New England, home for the Titans, and at Pittsburgh again uh, for the second division matchup there. But get him in on the bye. Get him in when he can do all these like new COVID testing and clear, you know, getting cleared to join a new team and practice with a new team. He's going to have time. He's going to have a few days to work with the team and then let him loose uh, at home against what is the, what the second biggest game of the year, I guess. So I'm very excited. When uh, in the offseason they let him walk and keep Judon, I'm going to come back on here so we can have a what's bothering Jace for a few minutes because that'll be fun. But for now, I would I hope and agree with you guys that they uh, decide to keep Ngakwe in, in, instead of Judon in the offseason. But moving on now to a, sort of a stranger uh, story coming out of Ravens camp over the bye week. Des Bryant was back at the facility for another workout. And it was sort of, it seemed like they were going to sign him because he'd already done the tryout in the offseason. What else more do you really need to see? And yet once again, and this is not the sort of the Raven way, like he was in the building and he left the building without a contract, which they've always <laughs> talked about. If they want to keep the guy, they don't let him leave and they sign him and that's the end of it. It was going to be a move to the practice squad and then I guess a call up if, if they felt like bringing him in at a certain point, but... Thoughts on this Des Bryant news, guys, if it's ever going to happen, if the fact that it hasn't happened after a second tryout, is this the end of it? What is going on with Des here? So that's what's strange, right? Like you said, they've brought him in twice. You think at this point they know. Everyone seems to think he's siding with the Ravens, but it hasn't actually happened yet. So I don't understand what the holdup is. I don't... Look, I don't think Des Bryant's going to solve all the Ravens' problems. Uh, and again, they were just signing him for the practice squad, not even the team. He hasn't played an NFL game since the 2017 season. Uh, so it's been a while for Des. But I just don't know either side the guy or not. I just don't understand what this weird in-between point is. You have Harbaugh saying like, well, if we sign him, we'll go from there. It's like, all right. <laughs> well, what does that mean? <laughs> you're, why is it he signed? If, if Even you're not for Harbaugh isms, that was one of the <laughs> one of the greatest ones. Yeah, so if you're not going to sign the guy, let's just stop the dance entirely. I guess is my my take on the matter. But it is very strange. I don't have too much more to add, really. But yeah, I just it's it's odd what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, can we just talk about Ngakwe some more? <laughs> I just I just want to talk about the defense and the guys up front. And the man, the guys are getting to eat. Those are the guys that matter, man. Those are the guys that matter. Uh, on on the Dez stuff, yeah, it's whatever. I I think it was funny because, you know, if you're a Ravens fan, obviously, I always say this. You're, you're listening to this podcast because you're a Ravens fan or you're just a masochist or you're a Steelers <laughs> fan trying to get some, some news. I don't know what you're doing. But um, it was weird because this broke right after the Ngakwe stuff. So the Ngakwe stuff leaked, and then it kind of just happened, and everybody's losing their minds. And then it's like, oh, they're signing Dez, too. And I think a lot of the Ravens making moves hype train followed this move. And people were like, oh, 
now they're back as a Super Bowl contender. They're getting Dez too. Like Dez, first of all, is going to the practice squad. Um, and then you had in this loop tin too, like, oh, this is the end for Miles Boykin. Dez is going to come in and wreak havoc. Yada yada yada. I think. Look, at time of recording, nothing has happened as Antonio said. We could, you could be listening to this right now, and Dez signs you know, in the morning or whatever it is, or if you're listening to this later, he's signed or they've confirmed he's not signed, whatever. In theory, if he does sign, I think the way you have to treat this as a Ravens fan to not, one, not get your hopes up and have them just brutally destroyed, <laughs> and two, just to be sensible, um, and I know that's tough for a lot of Baltimore fans, myself included, anything that is a positive, or anything you get, I should say, from Dez is a positive. I don't think... You know, him coming into the practice squad, if he gets 10 catches and two touchdowns, I'm like, good signing. Whatever. Great. Fine. I I don't have a ton to say on this because I really just don't expect anything. Like, again, the first time he, he's already worked out for the team, as you said, Antonio, and he reportedly puked on the practice field because he wasn't in shape. And then they bring him back in and then nothing happens. So even if they do make this move later, First of all, he can't play against Pittsburgh because he's going to have to quarantine and get himself ready. Then he's got to learn the playbook. It's already week eight by that point. Like, what kind of an impact are we expecting from him? I don't know. It Again, anything you get is great, and I'll gladly eat my words if we're in the divisional round and he makes a couple clutch third and eight catches for eight and a half yards and whatever, and that would be awesome. But for the moment, I'm not throwing the X up quite yet. I'm not buying the jersey <laughs> quite yet. Like, it's just... It would be cool. I've always liked watching Des Bryant, and it would be cool to see him in a Ravens uniform. But it's not like a Mark Ingram, Eric Weddle-type guy coming late in his career. Remember, he hasn't played since Lamar Jackson was in college. So anything <laughs> anything we get from Des, again, would be a positive. The uh, conspiracy theorist in me thinks that they just bring Des in whenever they want to light a fire under Miles Boykin. Whenever they're... <laughs> slightly uh, bothered by his performance. So your little off-season workouts, Boykin drops a few balls. Let's get Dez in. Let's get a try maybe, though, maybe he'll learn to communicate the proper route with Lamar. Right, you know, and uh, not sort of give up on a pass play and just keep blocking downfield. Uh, get Dez in here. we got to get Dez in here to get a little, little bit of fright going that they may <laughs> sign a veteran at any time. Other than that, it makes no sense. If it's a guy that hasn't played since 2017, I feel like this in and out kind of – like he would need time anyway. Um but he's not in yet, so we will uh, keep you posted on that on that news. But uh, no Des Bryant to Baltimore as of now. All right, that's it for the sort of Ravens news that happened this this past week. So we're going to pivot now and talk about the NFL and the games that happened this Sunday and Sunday night. And we're going to start as we always do uh, with the AFC North, where first of all we had Cleveland play against. Uh, was it the battle for Ohio against uh, AFC North rival Cincinnati, and the Browns are officially a weird team because they are <laughs> five and two after beating Cincinnati. They have a minus twenty one point differential, and they are five and two in the season. It's very strange. They're five and two. They've given up, I think, sixty seven points in two games to Cincinnati, and and those are two other wins. So I don't know really what to make of this Browns team, but at least in this game. Baker Mayfield starts terribly, finishes amazing, and ends up with five touchdown passes. Thoughts on uh, Cincinnati, too, we can talk about. Joe Burrow looked good, threw for 400 yards. Um, 
your guys' thoughts on, on this matchup and, and the resulting records of these two well, teams. So this was a great game. This was one of the best games uh, I thought of the day. Uh, they actually set a NFL first with uh, five uh, go-ahead touchdown passes in the fourth quarter <laughs> between these two teams. Uh, not a lot of defense in the latter half. Um, but like you said, incredibly strange game because uh, – as good as Joe Burrow is, and he actually leads the league in completions and attempts, which is definitely a choice by Cincinnati. But uh, he looks good, but, you know, they're not contenders at this point. They're 1-5-1. One, and one. Uh, But the Browns are 5-2, and two, despite their point differential suggesting they're not. And this game was incredibly strange uh, for Baker Mayfield in particular, as you said, Started horribly, I believe, through a pick on his first attempt, uh, or at least on the first series, like, very early in the game. Um, but then at one point hit a Browns record 21 straight passes. He was just on fire. Uh, and he hits, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones with the game-winning touchdown with 11 seconds to go. A beautiful throw, amazing catch. Um, it was a really good game. I, uh, and we should say, too, that most of the Browns and Baker's success came after... Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt and is now out for the year with a torn ACL. Um, but that somehow jump-started them yesterday, which is a very strange in Sunday's game. So I don't know what to make of them. <laughs> I don't have more insight to that. They're definitely a strange team. I don't know if there's any Ewing theory potential with OBJ going out. But, yeah, Baker looked awesome. Like, the second, you know, they lose their ostensibly number one receiver. So that was that was odd. But, yeah, that was a great game. And uh, the Browns, I think, will just be this confusing this remainder of the season. <laughs> Yeah, it's easy to say. I mean, you talk about the 21 straight completions. After Odell went out, he went 22 of 23, and the only uh, incompletion was a spike ball to stop the clock. So, I mean, Baker was on one, and he's got that talent. He just doesn't show it nearly enough for, if I was a Cleveland fan, to have any sort of confidence in him moving forward. That being said, say something nice about the Browns. Maybe they are a little bit better with Odell or without Odell. I, I'm not trying to be the morning zoo shock jock guy, but – I think the sample size isn't big enough yet, but if we start to see them, and here's their next couple of games, by the way. Home to the Raiders, home to the Texans, home to the Eagles, at the Jaguars, before they go at Tennessee versus Baltimore, and then at the New York Giants. There are a lot, a lot of winnable games in there, and that's the benefit of the North, obviously, playing the AFC East and NFC South, or excuse me, NFC East, AFC South this season. So we all get... A little bit of a break there as well. We'll talk about Pittsburgh in a minute because their their schedule is an absolute joke. Um, but if you start to see them really rolling and really clicking on offense, you know you're never going to wish for a guy to get hurt. And Odell is an incredible talent, but there's something there. I'm not ready to I'm not ready to call it yet. But there's something there with uh, with maybe the how good the offense is. I mean, you look at who he threw to. Higgins led the team with six catches and 110 yards. Then Harrison Bryant. They were out with, without Austin Hooper. He had four catches for 56 yards. Bryant did. Peoples-Jones, three for 56. And then Jarvis Landry down the bottom, five catches, 48 yards. So this whole maybe I'm spreading the ball around more. I don't need these, these glorified weapons all over the place. And let me just sling it. That There's something to that. I just want to say before we move off of this. The funniest part of this story, which we haven't covered yet, and maybe you guys have seen it, maybe you haven't, is one Carlos Dunlap. Now, Carlos Dunlap, if you don't know, defensive end for the Cincinnati Bengals, him and Geno Atkins have come out against the coaching staff recently, kind of upset with their roles and upset with 
uh, how much or the lack of playing time that they've both been getting. Obviously, both good players in the league, Atkins especially in his day. Um, so after the game, Carlos Dunlap, who did get in a little bit of a tiff with the defensive coordinator for the Bengals on the sideline, after the game, he got on his phone and he became a real estate agent. Quote, the tweet saying, this is from his own Twitter page. It has since been deleted, unfortunately, but of course, everybody screen grabbed it. Screen grabbed it, excuse me. Quote, 6,000 square foot city view with huge balcony, four bedroom, four and a half bathroom in one of the best school districts for sale. Do your market analysis and make me an offer. Serious, serious inquiries only with proof of funds. Owner is willing to sell furnished or unfurnished. The man is trying to sell his house in Cincinnati because he wants to leave so bad. Another little, another little added part to this story. Joe Mixon then got involved, replied, in all on public Twitter, by the way. This is not DMs. This is not talking amongst friends. This is on the largest social media site in the world or one of the top two, three, whatever it is. And Joe Mixon got in and said, I just got here. Um, hit me up. Let, like, let's, let's work this out. That place sounds amazing. So Carlos Dunlap trying to sell his house. Again, Jace mentioned it. Great game on a great day of games in the NFL. Beautiful that we were blessed with the Ravens buy so we can kind of watch all this stuff. Um, that was the best part of this game for me is that he's trying to sell his house on Twitter. And willing to do it furnished, like sell all his stuff too. He said everything must go. Everything must go. That's one of the more detailed, petty complaints I've ever heard. You know, he's complaining publicly is one thing, but just to the, I'm surprised he didn't have like a list price or something like an (laughs) offer price that he was interested in in starting from. As for Cleveland, are they going to be the worst 11 and five team in the history of the NFL? I mean, there are three games here that look like losses to me and it's uh, the, the Steelers game in week 17. They played the Ravens again. And then the road game to the Titans. Everything else looks sort of manageable for a team that up to now has beaten bad teams. And that's who they have to go against. I mean, the Raiders will be an interesting game. Maybe the best barometer of how good this team is because the Raiders are right in the middle. And so far, the Browns have lost to the good teams and beaten the bad teams. So, I mean, I don't like it. I, I <laughs> this Because they're, just, they're half a game behind Baltimore right now. And I do not want them just hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. Uh, behind Baltimore as the season progresses, but it, it certainly seems that way. Uh, as for Cincinnati, Joe Burrow looks good. I would love to see him still be in the league three or four years <laughs> from now because the guy gets yeah. hit and hit and hit. Some of the stuff is maybe don't have your rookie quarterback with a bad offensive line throw the ball this many times. <laughs> the other part of it is if you watch these highlights, he has he's got the Deshaun Watson syndrome a lot of the times. Hangs on to the ball for way too long, rolls out of the pocket, and it's sort of the this is where you throw it away part. And he just holds it, holds it, holds it, and gets hit by from behind over and over again. So they got to work on that. He's got to work on that. And uh, after a whole season of this, I don't, I don't know if that's going to impact him uh, in terms of making the leap to the next level as, as a quarterback, but we will see on that. The other AFC North team that was involved over the weekend was the now 6-0 Pittsburgh Steelers traveled to Tennessee to face off against the 5-0 at the time. Titans started off with a gigantic lead. They were up 20 points in this game. I guess 20 points early in the second half. Uh, that was the largest lead they had. And then Tennessee comes all the way back, cuts it to a field goal, has the game-tying drive, 
And then Steven Gustkowski with another costly field goal miss. I think this was in the 40 yards. I don't know exactly how. 45, 47, somewhere in there. And he misses it, uh, and Pittsburgh stays undefeated. Um, <laughs> ben Roethlisberger looked okay. Uh, threw for 260 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. One of them was a Hail Mary throw at the end of the first half, and then the other two were both unbatted balls that went into the air and were both caught for, for interceptions. So I turn to you guys now. How terrifying are the Pittsburgh Steelers? What do we learn from this game in in both aspects, really, that they won on the road, that they had a big lead, and that Tennessee was able to very quickly crawl back into this game in the second half? Yeah, that's, so that's what's so confusing is I I I left this game not knowing how to feel because in the first half I was like, uh-oh, the Steelers are really good. When they're up 24-7 in Tennessee, you know, you're like, this team, the Ravens are going to have some problems. And then they just do almost nothing the rest of the game on offense and let, as you said, like, I thought for sure Tennessee was actually going to complete the comeback. I was like, I was like, this team's got something. Tennessee has just some weird mojo going. I don't know. Mike Vrabel, I guess, is just a good coach. That might be all it is. But they seemed it was right there that to Derrick Henry, you know, had that leaping touchdown. I was, I was so convinced it was going to overtime. And then the Steelers pull out the win. And so now I'm conflicted because Steelers are the only unbeaten team in the NFL, and that means your 5-1 Baltimore Ravens are in second place in the AFC North, which is annoying. <laughs> but I, I, their struggles, they have... You look at their numbers and like their ranks for the Steelers of where they are, and they don't jump out of the... like at, as doing any one thing super, like you know, best in the world. Like, they're a really good team, but they're just like, their numbers don't scream that they're the only unbeaten team. So I know I rambled and my answer is I'm confused by them, but I'm confused by them. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of them really after that game. Cause it was such a tale of two halves kind of thing. I mean, I know what they do well and that's play defense. Um, I still think this defense, I know, Look, you take a big lead into the first half, and we've seen it from Ravens teams all the time. They let their foot off the gas, and all of a sudden... We watched the freaking Eagles game two weeks ago, if you don't remember. Almost blew that one to a much inferior opponent. They held Derrick Henry, who, for my money, is the best running back in the NFL, to 75 yards, even when Vrabel... Credit to Vrabel, by the way, sticking with the run game in the second half because he knew he could do it, and they, they popped off some big ones, but still... 20 carries, 75 yards for Derrick Henry. And, yeah, you're right. It, it's not – we're not watching that uh, that 2007 uh, what New England team, and, again, didn't go undefeated because they lost in the Super Bowl, one of the most glorious Super Bowl victories that didn't involve the Ravens for the New York <laughs> Giants. Shouts out to them. They don't do anything particularly well on offense, but they're just getting the job done. And they have so many weapons. Claypool again – you know, didn't have a massive game. Actually, he had a pretty bad game. Had one catch for minus two yards and a fumble. But that guy can come alive at any time when he doesn't do it. Uh, Juju had nine catches for 85 yards. Deontay Johnson had nine catches for 80 yards. Then you just throw in Eric Ebron, who's got all the talent in the world at tight end, for another six catches as well. They can spread the ball around. And Big Ben is doing the stupid, annoying Big Ben stuff again. You saw the highlight. He's getting wrapped up by a guy. 
and shovel passes the ball, but it travels like an actual pass, like six yards down the field for a first down. That's the type of stuff they do well, as well as play very good defense. It's going to keep them in any game. So I'm horrified of the Pittsburgh Steelers again. Maybe, you know, I haven't watched every game of theirs. You know, I, I did the the red zone spin yesterday, so I wasn't completely locked onto them the entire time. But it's just, it's... Yeah, they're not they're not going to go undefeated this season. You know, we're not calling them sixteen and zero or whatever. But it's good they're going to have those one or two moments in every game, and we'll talk about it later. That you can't hang your head when three different guys miss Roethlisberger in the backfield and he hits somebody for thirteen yards on third and twelve or something. You know, some BS like that. They won't beat themselves, and that makes them very dangerous. Yeah, they just have a lot of dudes offensively, right? That, I mean, yep. that's the thing that you just sort of are alluding to there, Tim. They have so many weapons, and it's so... And we've complained on this show before about the just, like, tree of wide receivers where Pittsburgh just goes out every season when the tree is, like, nice and ripe, and they just pluck a beautiful wide receiver off the tree. <laughs> Juju has always been there. Chase Claypool in a bat. Like, he's always around. And then I'm looking at the running backs. James Conner is good. He had 20 carries, and then Anthony McFarlane will do something frisky, and Benny Snell comes in for a play, and you're, oh, look at the speed on Benny Snell Jr. Eric Ebron is making catches. I, like, forgot about that guy entirely. He's their tight end now. A lot of do. I guess he's the backup tight end to Vance McDonald. Just a lot of bodies. I'm terrified of this game with the Ravens, but in terms of this matchup with the Titans, I think I sort of answered my own question when... when teasing this game to you guys the two tipped interceptions essentially could have changed the game and you can always say that with like recovered fumbles or tipped interceptions there's always a few plays that dictate a game but the first tipped interception was in the third quarter and that put the titans in really good field position and they immediately kicked a field goal the second tipped interception which was even worse in terms of just being a fluky play was when Pittsburgh was in the red zone, um, and instead of kicking a field goal on, like, third down, I think it was, yeah, it was third and 12, and instead of kicking a field goal, Big Ben, or, you know, taking a safe play, he took a shot on third and 12 to the end zone, and so instead of having a 30-24 to lead, it was a 27-24 lead, and Tennessee had gotten the ball back on the 20-yard line, and that's where the drive started, where they tried to tie the game late, so just... A couple of plays in this game may have stayed uh, a blowout or at least maybe a double-digit win for Pittsburgh. So it's – I am concerned with this team. I don't think they're going to go 16-0, and as, as we said. But beating a 5-0 and team on the road uh, is tough to do, and, and they certainly had control for at least most of this game. Uh, we'll move on now to elsewhere in the NFL. Another team that had very little control of the game they played in at home – was the New England Patriots having one of the worst losses in the Bill Belichick era, losing 33-6 to against the San Francisco 49ers in Foxborough. Cam Newton benched by the end of this game with a mix of bad performance and the game being a blowout. New England currently 2-4, and four guys. Are we saying bye to the Patriots? Are they, are they not going to make the playoffs for the first time in uh, eons, seemingly? Well, there's seven teams, so I'm not doing that quite yet. I mean... <laughs> We will become, we are a Pat Ricard podcast, we are a Ravens podcast, and if Tua Tagovailoa can lead the Dolphins over the Patriots for one of those final wild card slots, I'm a Tua guy, and it's a Tua <laughs> podcast. But I don't think that's going to happen. This was a 
I mean, we forget San Francisco is a good football team, um, and they came in there and they waxed the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, Cam Newton. You have to say it. How much of this is uh, effects from? COVID. Remember, he tested positive for coronavirus, and you don't know how much that affects the guy. Yeah, he was asymptomatic, but you never, you know, as you can tell by the way this country's continuing to be locked down in certain areas, we don't know how much this affects certain people. So who knows? But nine for 15 for 98 yards and three interceptions. And when he was throwing the ball, he was, you know, I, I don't want to take this from another very popular sports podcast, but they pointed out, and I noticed during the game as well, it's like, He's throwing the ball downwards almost where he's throwing it hard and fast, but to the feet of everybody. Cause he's like not letting it off in time. It just, it was really weird. Their, their defense got shredded. I, I don't think their defense is that good anyway. Even last year when they were supposed to be historically great playing, you know, East state tech high school and everybody <laughs> that they played to start the year. And then the Ravens proved that they're, you know, showed everybody that the Pats defense isn't all that's uh, that, that they should be, or that they were talked up to be anyway. So, I'm not counting the Pats up yet, or out yet, I should say, but it is concerning if you're a New England fan. And just quickly, because I know we have a ton of games to cover, so I just want to throw in my thoughts for one game here on the inverse of this game. It is why I am officially in on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Tampa Bay, if you didn't know, I know, I know, thank you. (laughs) I'm going to say Tampa. I'm not doing the other one. But Tom Brady looked great. Four touchdowns, uh, 369 yards passing. Rob Gronkowski's back. I mean, look, you might want to test the dude for steroids because all of a sudden he just bulked up and now he's back to his best. I don't know how you do that that quickly. The guy's a freak athlete, whatever. We've talked about the defense. But I had this realization in my head while kind of watching both of these games when they were taking place that I was like, you know what? If Tampa Bay continues to just be great, you know, I don't I – don't, love tom brady to put it lightly <laughs> but if they continue to really escalate and be very very good and at the same time the patriots continue to dwindle and disappear and fade i'm going to take all of my love for that nfc team far away from us and just say there's some sort of connection one they both can't go up it seems like one has to go down while the other goes up and i much prefer it this way I much prefer the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be good if the Patriots are bad, if these two are the inverse of each other, which kind of seems like it is. So, you know, we don't have to talk about the Tampa Bay game in detail, but watching those two, watching Tom Brady look the best he has in a long time, while Cam Newton and the Patriots couldn't figure it out and got waxed at home and now sitting at two and four, two and four. Uh, it just, it's, it's, you know what? We're a Ravens podcast. We're biased. It's a beautiful sight to see. Yeah. They hadn't lost, uh, three straight games since 2002. Uh, this was the worst home loss in the, uh, history of Bill Belichick being the head coach of the New England Patriots. Uh, so the 21 seasons, this was his worst loss at Gillette. And even before that at Foxborough stadium, uh, how long he's been there. Um, it's stunning. I was stunned to see that game. I don't have too much more to add, but uh, they look really bad. Uh, and I don't really know the path for them getting suddenly better. They like have just looked horrendous on offense two weeks in a row. And yeah, I mean, Cam looked pretty good, you know, before he had COVID. So I can't. You can't say this isn't what's causing this. I guess, but I guess this is also, you know, the concerns he had with his injuries heading into this year might be rearing their head a little bit, and we never know. These guys are tough. They'll never tell you fully what they're all dealing with uh, during the season, but 
they look really bad, and my fear, I guess, is they are bad enough to land one of Justin Fields. Uh, <laughs> probably not Trevor Lawrence territory bad, but they could get someone good, and that's a concern for me. But, uh, yeah, it was great to see the Patriots lose by, you know, 30-plus, that was their 20-plus, 25-plus. I'm good at math. That was fun. The Tom Brady stuff is uh, infuriating. He has 1,900 yards passing, 18 touchdowns, and four interceptions. And is uh, and he's on a new team with a new coach in a new division at the age of 43. I don't like any of it, but you're so right, Tim. The life and the NFL, there's yin and there's yang. So you <laughs> you know you accept one thing that you don't like, and you turn to something else that just makes you feel so good. And it's Cam Newton going nine of 15 for 98 yards and three interceptions. Yeah, I think there's a weird split here because I think if you ask the Ravens nation as it were if you could pick one of these to be bad would it be New England or would it be Tom Brady you know I I, I will admit I wrestled and you if you listen to this podcast early in the season you know I wrestled with which one it would be and I went back and forth a couple times but to watch New England crumble and I have friends who are New England fans and I don't I don't wish any you know bad things on them or whatever it is but after the run they run they had and all the smack talk and all the heartbreak on this end you know what go have fun in tampa tom if you're gonna do it there let the packers beat well i guess that's not gonna happen based on a couple weeks ago battle it out in the nfc maybe you know if we're lucky enough to get there we'll see you in the super bowl but to not have to deal with new england i think would be i don't know i, I think it'd be close but I'd, I'd go 60-40 in terms of if you wanted to see one of these teams not do well, I think 60-40 of the Ravens fans would say uh, New England compared to Tampa Bay. And the New England thing is sort of baffling. If you look at the roster, to me at least, I, don't, I guess I didn't pay attention to this as much last year or the year before. They have no talent at a lot of positions, and I thought... You know, I thought New England was the most desirable place for players to want to go on sort of discount deals. But once you got rid of Tom Brady, once you moved him, from, removed him from the equation, the running backs is basically a by committee, but none of them are really, really good at, especially really, really good, really, really good at more than one thing. They all sort of have these super niche roles, but none of them sort of warrants being on the field for 15 to 20 carries. The wide receiver core is horrendous. I, I don't even know who who a Patriots fan would say is the best receiver, whether it's Edelman or Demir Bird. Uh, <laughs> Nikhil Harry has done nothing since he's been drafted. They, It's been very public about how they don't have any tight ends, and none of the tight ends seem to be able to do anything at all. And then defensively, they lost some guys in free agency, and then they had, a f- I think, one or two defensive guys. I think the list was eight, but it was a few defensive guys opted out from from for COVID reasons. And then at the end of that, the roster has nothing left basically. And Cam Newton looks not great. And all of a sudden they're a 33 to six losing at home team. Yeah. Real quickly, just on that. I, I just pulled up and it, it's been said before, but, and the Ravens suffered this through those, those mediocre dark times that we talk about a lot. You know, the biggest reason for this, the draft history, it is bad. From, from the 2016 draft on, I just did a quick look, and if I missed anybody, apologies. But guys who make an impact, you have uh, in 2016 in the third round, they got Joe Thune, who is a very good guard on their offensive line. 2017, they had four picks, and I couldn't tell you any of these guys. 2018, in the first round, they got Isaiah Wynn, who's been pretty good for them. Uh, after that, 
there is nobody. I mean, they had Sony Michelle as well on that draft that, that has done nothing. And you took the 2019 draft. In the third round, they got Chase Winovich, who has been okay. He's been a Belichick-type outside linebacker. But outside of that, nothing really. And then this year, they've gotten nothing from any of these guys they drafted. The draft history for Belichick, who, remember, is the GM of this team, right. has been horrific the last five, six years. And guess what? That is the way to win. That is the way you build a team. You look at the Patriots of old. You look at the Ravens. You look at the Steelers. You look at the Packers. You look at the Saints. Any of these teams who have been good for a long time and consistent for a long time, and you look at the draft history, and that will lead and tell you who are the good teams and the consistent teams in the NFL. And guess what? For the Pats, it's been there's been a lot of great coaching. Obviously, Bill Belichick, probably the best coach of all time, even – if they finish 2-14 and 14 this season. And they had Tom Brady, the best quarterback of all time. That covers up a lot of stuff. You lose one of those guys, and you continue to draft poorly, and it's going to be this. And I love it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to see. Uh, it will be fun to see, I guess, some different teams coming out of their division, uh, AFC East. Um It'll be nice to see the Bills maybe win. Just nice to see some turnover in the NFL. Yeah. I, right. I have no uh, apologies or, or fear of this Patriots team not being good uh, for a few years. But we could talk about the Patriots and them being bad for a long time. So I'm going to pivot here quickly to a team that is playing well. Uh, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs, who I wrote in my notes, didn't really play well at Denver and still won by 27 points. Uh, somebody tell me how these Chiefs, who have not played well or really well since the Ravens game, basically, are 6-1 and one and are scoring 40-plus points on uh, mediocre opponents. I'll tell you what. It's a pick six. It's a kick return for a touchdown. And from there, and the defense teeing off for three sacks, five tackles for loss, and Drew Locke not doing anything in the snow. I mean, that's that's all it was. This this is almost scarier for the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes, 15 to 23, 200 yards and a touchdown. As um, my lovely girlfriend, who has Patrick Mahomes in fantasy, was screaming at the TV because he wasn't doing, quote, anything for her team. He doesn't have to, and they still win 43 to 16 over the Broncos. So it just kind of shows you it's they can win in a number of ways because they've got playmakers everywhere. Oh, yeah. And then Le'Veon Bell also had six carries for 39 yards, and his first rush was like a 15-yard game. Yeah, it looked, like looked old great Le'Veon. on it. <laughs> that was so annoying. But, yeah, the Broncos are just – that's what's so annoying with the Chiefs is, like you said, I, like, Mahomes had, like, a few throws that were good, but he didn't. they didn't ask him to do that much. He didn't do that much, really. I mean – the Broncos had the ball, like, way more than, than the Chiefs in this game, but they just got it, like, handed to them. The Broncos are a disaster. I don't know what has happened to that franchise other than John Elway has run them into the ground, which is kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, they. Uh, I read, um, I believe Lindsey Jones had this, that uh, no member of the current Broncos has ever beaten the Chiefs. The the, uh, the, oh, the, man. the Broncos have won 10 straight against the, or, uh, the Chiefs, excuse me, have won 10 straight against the Broncos. Uh, and yeah, I, I see no reason for that domination to continue. And it's what I fear uh, with a Mahomes AFC West dynasty for the years to come. Because if you're just going to have, you know, the Broncos be this bad and the Raiders are the Raiders and owned by Mark Davis and the Chargers are the Chargers owned by Dean Spanos. It's like, who's going to compete with them? It's going to have to be the Broncos. And if they're this bad... 
I don't know. <laughs> I have concerns. Hey, don't discount Justin Herbert. We don't have to talk about that game, but I love watching that he didn't look good. Play. Don't discount him. Yeah, in case the listener missed that sort of quick comment, the Chiefs also have Le'Veon Bell now because they needed more <laughs> talent and they needed more playmakers on the team. I hate the Chiefs. They're going to turn into the Patriots. And I why why do we need this? Why do we have to have just one perfect dynasty into the other? Chiefs in the second half very quickly. Their drives were punt, field goal, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, end of game. That's how they played the second half there in a blowout. And I don't like the Chiefs being 6-1. and one. Elsewhere in the NFL, uh, Green Bay, who looked terrible at Tampa, got very much back on track and... I mean, for all intents and purposes, blew out the Houston Texans, who had a little bit of spark late in that game to to even make it somewhat close. But Green Bay looks great, back on track. And then we want to talk about maybe a less uh, pretty game, let's say, but a fun game to watch nonetheless. And that was the Detroit Lions against the Atlanta Falcons. (laughs) A mediocre team against a bad team, and the bad team found yet another way to lose a football (laughs) game. Tim... Talk me through the uh, battle of the mediocres, the battle of the poors. <laughs> the battle of the poors. So, I love that. So, so if you don't know, um, if you don't know how this ended, basically Atlanta had the ball. They're close to the end zone, but it was one of those situations. Do not score. Do not score. Do not score. Uh, and you, we can run the clock out and the game is over. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, they drove the ball down the field. Detroit is clearly, like, olaying them to, to just go to the point where Todd Gurley, it, they were on, I, I'd have to look up the – they were inside the 10, something like that. They were very close to the end zone. He runs through. The hole just opens, opens up wide, and he kind of forgets almost for a guy who's done this before, by the way, <laughs> and was skewered by fantasy owners because they think that's more important, although that touchdown helped me beat Jace this weekend, so that was great. <laughs> He gets on the goal line and kind of falls over and falls right on the goal line rather Breaks than the falling plane. on the one. Breaks the plane to the point where the defense, uh, the Detroit defensive linemen are going, touchdown, he did it, he scored. They're celebrating Never the before seen. Never seen that before. More than the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, after that, Matty Stafford drives down the field, gets them – uh, I think they got it. It was a it was a game winning field goal, right? It was, or no, no, well, I'm sorry. it was an it extra point. Yeah, so it the, was a touchdown. The it Falcons touchdown. scored and got the two point, but that only put them up six because they were trailing by two when they had the ball on the ten. So they score the touchdown, get the two point, but they're only down six. So uh, yeah, that gave the ball back to Stafford with one oh four to go. Uh, and, uh, they, yeah, they just went 75 yards and scored on the final play. <laughs> and then Danny M- – so here's what happens. First of all, the Falcons are inventing ways to lose. And then they come down the field. Detroit does. They score. And then on the – there was a 15-yard uh, misconduct penalty from Danny Amendola who backs up the extra point, which wins them the game. And you're thinking – Atlanta's trying to find a way to lose, but then Detroit goes, hold my beer. I'm going to try and find a way to make this game even more complicated than it needs to be. And it doesn't matter. Matt Prater ends up burying the uh, the long extra point anyway. But what a weird game. And Atlanta, what oh do you gosh. do with it? I mean, let's not get into it. We've got a plenty of other stuff to talk about. This is a Ravens podcast. But if you're an Atlanta fan, 
What do you do? They owe Matt Ryan like $100 million <laughs> still over the next couple of seasons. Julio Jones has been on the trade block reportedly. And it's just, it is a mess down there in, uh, in Hotlanta. And I feel bad for their fans. I really do. That game really deserved a missed extra point and then just a 22 22 tie. It like did. an overtime <laughs> game that has a mess that ends up being a tie. Uh, yeah, sorry for you, Atlanta. Um, couple other games we're going to go over quickly, and then we will turn to a bit more Ravens information for you. But Dallas Cowboys cool. went from not great to less great to really, really bad, getting blown out 25-3 to against the Washington football team. The not good Washington football team in what continues to be a putrid NFC East. Thoughts on where Dallas goes from here? I just want to say real quickly on this, um, it's pretty inexcusable the way the Dallas players are acting right now. Um, There's been a lot of leaks to the media about how they don't like their coach and yada, yada, yada. They're not being coached well. And, And look, some of that may be valid with McCarthy. He clearly didn't deserve that job, and it's showing. But you listen to the guy, former players and stuff, and they're like, you'd there was a famous line from Tony Dungy that he went to his team and said, there's no, there's no player named anonymous in our locker room. <laughs> you have a problem. We hash it out here. And there's leaks coming out at everywhere. It's like Swiss cheese in that Dallas locker room. And then poor Andy Dalton, one of the worst hits I've seen in a while, John Bostic head helmet to helmet as it's late. It's helmet to helmet. Dalton's sliding down on the ground. And he still tries to peg him. And I was listening to the Pat McAfee show earlier on Monday, and he's a former player. He had former players on talking about this. And the, and everybody says at that point, you stick up for your guy. You're going after Bostic there. Like, you're, you're not, you know, you're not trying to kill the guy, but you're pushing him around, maybe, maybe even starting a fight on the field because it was that dirty of a hit. And not one of those Dallas players defended Andy Dalton after that hit. And it was, it was disgusting. It really was. Um, and... You know, you, you just I feel bad for Dalton. It was a bad hit, but Dallas, man, they are they are an absolute mess and they owe a lot of people a lot of money and I don't see it getting fixed anytime soon. The only thing I have to say with Dallas, and this happens every year, and I assume it's because Jerry Jones is the you know, the most powerful owner in all of major American sports. But every year, you know, the coach changes, the players have changed now over the course of the last 25 years, and still the Cowboys just lose in the same exact ways every single season, and no one looks at the GM, who is Jerry Jones? <laughs> and it's so clear, all the Cowboys' problems extend directly to him, and always do, and always will, for the rest of his life. Uh, and no one ever really calls him out on it. <laughs> it's always, like, someone else's fault or the player's fault. But there's no one else you could point the finger to more than Jerry Jones and Steven Jones. Cause he's prominently involved too these days. This is, this is unacceptable how bad this team is for a team that actually has talent. Like the Cowboys have talent. I know Dak Prescott got hurt, but even before he got hurt, they were not playing as well as they should with the talent they have on this team, but they look horrible, man. I don't I, <laughs> They lost by 22 to a Washington team that has looked like, we just, we talked, like, two or three weeks ago about how bad they looked in that Rams game, Washington. They got, like, 103 total yards against the Los Angeles Rams, and yet they looked so much better. They beat the Cowboys by 22. And like, Dalton got knocked out, and that was an egregious headshot. <laughs> the kind we haven't seen in quite a while in this league. But 
they were doing horrible. Like, it was a 22-3 to game when he got knocked out. So, like, <laughs> that was not the reason they lost this game was because Andy Dalton got knocked out. They're just a horrible team. And I, <laughs> the, the worst part is we're going to talk about them all the rest of the season because they are, A, the Dallas Cowboys, and B, only trail by, what, half a game? The Eagles are 2-4-1, and one, the Cowboys are 2-5 and five in the NFC East. So they're very much still in play to win that division, like, on paper. But Well, here's, it, the, here's the thing. Let's just stop talking about the NFC East unless they play the AFC North. But they're Let's on TV that. every week, Tim. They're so, four I of the like Tim just does moratoriums on teams, <laughs> divisions, <laughs> topics. I I have no need to talk about the NFC East. I get. I hope Ben DiNucci can take the Cowboys. James to the, Madison's to the, own to the title. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna do ra- uh, random Raven in a minute here. But part two of random trivia this week is for the listeners. If you can name who the starting quarterback was of the Washington football team this week, I'll be impressed. And it's not even a hard... He started a few games, but this is a Cowboys team losing 25-3 to to the Washington football team. And I challenge you, if you just know off the top of your head, who started that game for the Washington team. Last game to talk about in the NFL before we turn to, to some Raven stuff here is the Sunday night game. We have to talk about it. It was one of the most more entertaining games of the season and that is Seattle at Arizona overtime win for the Cardinals. Seattle no longer undefeated. Who who stayed up for this game? I guess it was easier for Jace uh, on the West Coast, but yeah, who stayed up for this game? Like nine p.m. here. And uh, <laughs> Jace, did you wake up in time for the start of this game on the West Coast, or how was that for your schedule yeah, and, and what, thoughts on the game overall? What a phenomenal game this was. Uh, there is a now infamous Kevin Clark uh, tweet. Kevin Clark from the Ringer. Uh, that he wrote last season that just says the Seahawks have literally never played a normal game. And <laughs> it's completely true because every week Seattle is involved in the strangest game. And this was easily their weirdest of the season. So I still don't know how they lost this game. Really? They were up 10 with like three minutes to go. Uh, Russ was an uneven game for him. He uh, ended up throwing three interceptions, including uh, I guess two in overtime or one in overtime. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was bombing to Tyler Lockett and they were up 10 and then they take an illegal contact penalty on a field goal that turns into a touch, lets the the Cardinals to, instead of cutting the deficit to seven, they now turn it into a three point game. They get the ball back. They force OT. Uh, it was, it was such a strange game. I'm sh- I'm struggling to put it into words because I feel like so much happened, but it j- none of it really made sense. You were like, I I don't know how the Seahawks lost. We nearly had a tie. Cliff everything Cliff Kingsbury did in overtime with like icing his own kicker um, on a second down field goal attempt was something. Uh, the whole game was incredibly strange and I thought for sure we were heading for a tie there but the Cardinals were able to eke it out there at the end it was a great game I enjoyed it thoroughly it was just it was really strange really fun and it was great a great cap to the night yeah it's funny I I ended up staying up for the whole thing too I'm laying in bed watching it about to turn it off about to turn it off and I couldn't take my eyes off of it but in the same way Jace it's it's weird to describe what happened like Russell Wilson threw some absolute beauties uh what what if i have to hear moon ball again from chris collinsworth <laughs> i might i might shoot myself but uh, but they were i mean some of the passes were incredible tyler lockett was on fire kyler murray is the streakiest player of all time maybe he he looks like 
average NFL quarterback to league MVP just like that. Um, so fun to watch still. I love watching them. Cliff Kingsbury, look, Arizona deserves the win for 5-2. and two. Cliff Kingsbury does not deserve a win for his all-time coaching <laughs> record for some of the stuff he did. They're down, I think it was 7, Chase, towards the end of the game. And they're walking the ball up like they're not in a there's like three minutes left in the game. And they're doing the Joe Flacco offense, which made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. So a a super fun game all around. Isaiah Simmons, who everybody loved coming out of the draft, has barely played for Arizona this season. He makes the big interception to set up the second field goal in overtime, because as Jace mentioned, the first one, uh, Cliff Kingsbury iced his own kicker on a second down, which just made no sense. But one guy I have to talk about. I know we're going long. I know that DK Metcalf got all of the praise for running down this man. And it was funny. I was like, what a play by Buda Baker. And then all, and I look on Twitter and it's all just DK, DK, DK. Look what DK did. Look what DK did. Now, granted, the the Arizona Cardinals couldn't punch in after DK Metcalf. If you don't know, Buda Baker picks the ball off looking like a 90 yard pick six. And then DK Metcalf comes out of nowhere to tackle him. Great play. But Buda Baker, I'm saying it right now, is my favorite non-Raven in the NFL, and it might not be close. The man is everywhere. He just makes plays. He's he's a safety who's in the box. He plays deep. He knows how to read defenses. He can stick a guy anytime he wants to. He's he's a great blitzer. He, he is a stereotypical, I can't wait until he's Eric Weddle's age, and then he joins the Ravens for two great seasons at the very end of his career because he looks like that type of guy. And if I was somebody who had disposable income and actually was a guy who liked wearing jerseys all the time, which is definitely not my look, Buda Baker, black Arizona Cardinals 32 would be on the list because the guy is, he is so fun to watch. He, fun, more fun than Kyler Murray, more fun than Patrick Mahomes for me. Buda Baker, if you love defense and you love watching just guys fly around the ball, watch the Arizona Cardinals and watch number 32 make some plays, man. He is, he is electric. He really is. All right, that's going to do it for us on the NFL this week. We're going to turn now to Jace for the Random Raven. And he's been talking this Random Raven up for literally weeks uh, for a little peek uh, off air, I guess. Jace has been talking about this ever since his turn ended three weeks ago. So I'm terrified. But Jace, why don't you hit us with this Random Raven? I'm mainly just, I think, surprised this guy hasn't come up for us yet. But uh, here we go. Uh, This player played for the Ravens for three seasons from 2013 to 2015. He never missed... Dark Ages. Okay. Okay. Dark Ages guy. Uh, He never missed a game in his time with the Ravens, starting all 50 contests they played, including playoffs, uh, during that span. With Baltimore, he registered 371 tackles, five interceptions, one of which he returned for a touchdown, for seven fumbles, and had nine sacks. Number four, he signed with the Ravens as a free agent in 2013 after spending the first nine seasons of his career with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who drafted him in the second round in 2004. And then clue five, the linebacker who went to Georgia Tech moved to the uh, Buccaneers in his final season in 2016 after being cut by the Ravens following the 2015 season. That guy has never come up? He has not come up. Wow. Some would say he was the... uh... Heir apparent is maybe the wrong term, but like the fill-in, the trusty uh, fill-in for one Ray Lewis, who uh, most of our listeners, I think, know who that guy is. 
Yeah, some would say he was of London Fletcher quality, even though everybody likes to compare London Fletcher to Ray Lewis, which is one of the most ridiculous conversations I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. But yeah, this guy, and you, we won't reveal it yet. It wasn't London Fletcher, trust me. Uh, this guy, really good. Like, really, really strong for the Ravens for a while. His and, numbers astounded me. I knew he was, like, yeah. solid, but running through them, I was like, wow, he was really productive. <laughs> yeah, very, very good player. All right, with that, we'll have Jace reveal that uh, random but strong Raven at the end of the episode. But we are going to turn now to our Ravens versus Steelers preview. It's Steelers week, as mentioned at the top of the show. Pittsburgh coming into the bank at 1 o'clock on Sunday. We all love a 1 p.m. game here. 4,000 fans uh, expected to be in attendance for this one, so we hope that Baltimore sort of uh, checks at the gate the loudest 4,000 people they can find out of Baltimore to try to disrupt this Pittsburgh, undefeated Pittsburgh team. So I turn to you now, fellas. This line for the game opened at (laughs) Baltimore minus 6.5. It then moved to 5.5. It then moved to 4. It is now... I'm going to check it again because it is dropping like Bear Stearns in 2009. Uh... At the moment, I'm going to find it in a second. Okay, it has stopped, seemingly, at three and a half. The the line has moved three points in a day and a half. It's now Baltimore by three and a half at home. We're going to start with what do we think will happen, what needs to happen on both sides of the ball here. So we're going to start with when the Ravens have the ball. What do you guys believe needs to happen for the Ravens to succeed, and what do you think will... uh, in actuality, happen in this game? Um, oh, God. When the Ravens have the ball, uh, find any sort of way to slow down the best defense in the NFL. Um, they are sixth in yards per game through the air, allowing only 217 yards. They are second in rushing yards per game, only allowing 68.8. And they are seventh in the NFL in points per game. I think initially, you know, it... it the weirdest thing for me is use this bye week to clean yourselves up and learn how to execute. It, that's the, the simplest stuff for me. I think the defensive line is really going to struggle, but when the Ravens have the ball, they need to have – this sounds bread and butter, but especially against a defense like this, convert your easy third downs, execute the plays, and don't beat yourself because they will do enough, They will do plenty to beat you. Trust me. They, they they will get after Lamar Jackson. I think they're going to have, I won't say a field day, but I think the offensive line, especially on the interior, might struggle a bit with the guys like Hayward and Tuitt, uh, the two defensive tackles for Pittsburgh, who are very, very good. You have to not beat yourself and execute. And I know that sounds like coach speak, but it really comes down to that type of stuff because the Ravens have playmakers that can make plays against this team. I don't think the defense, the secondary – is all that great for Pittsburgh, but they don't have to be when they can get after the quarterback as well as they do. It cannot be Lamar running for his life all game. you got to give him a clean pocket in some places. And then the receivers have to get open against those guys. In the running game, you have to execute your blocks. Guards have to get to the second level after chipping off on the defensive tackle. It's it's all those little things like that because it's going to be tough. The Ravens are not putting up 40. They're not. That's not this type of game. It's Baltimore-Pittsburgh is back. If you missed it, well, guess what? 
surprise, surprise, we're back, baby. And this game is going to be tough. It's going to be a nail-biter the whole time. And you cannot beat yourself. Because how many times have we watched the Baltimore Ravens? And I know this is a whole new team, new generation, whatever it is. How many times have we watched the Ravens lose to themselves against Pittsburgh? Well, Too many I think, to count. I think that's 100% it for me, uh, Tim, uh, is protect the football. Because I do think points will be low. I think the Ravens have proven they're not an especially big play team anyway. So I think those will be uh, in short supply. Um, you know, there are... It's hard to believe. Ravens are 31st in passing yards per game this year. Uh, <laughs> which is unbelievable but uh yeah i think number one is protect the football um for lamar especially uh if you'll recall this was his worst game last season he threw three interceptions against the steelers in uh at heinz field um now two of those were to devin bush who we uh mentioned i believe last week or two weeks ago whenever he got hurt well uh, is out for the year um so they won't have to deal with him this game but yeah, it, it's going to be strange because they need to protect the ball. And as long as it seems like Lamar's been here a while at this point, uh, and obviously we're familiar with Ben Roethlisberger, this is actually going to be the first uh, Ben Roethlisberger versus Lamar Jackson game uh, since, uh, as starters anyway, since they, uh, Lamar came into the NFL. Um, and I certainly think, um, yeah, like when we'll get to what we think the Ravens defense will do in a second, but I think for Lamar, you just can't make the mistakes because we saw, you know, all those years, the Flacco, Roethlisberger years when the Ravens lost was when Joe would just get, you know, strip sacked by Troy Polamalu from behind because he just had no idea there was a guy there. And you're just like ball security. The Ravens defense, I think, does stand a good chance or at least an OK chance on paper uh, in this game. But I think it starts with. Uh, not turning the ball over. He did that last year. It nearly cost them against the Steelers in Heinz Field. So for me, I think, yeah, just protecting the football is probably number one because I do think points will be a premium in this game. Tim, you mentioned in your explanation there about how Lamar can't be running for his life, and that's couldn't like that's the truest thing that has ever been said. We hate we see these games against bad teams, and on the first few drives, the pressure is getting to Lamar, and he's running around trying to find not open receivers. But the sort of half pivot from that is I think in order for the Ravens to have success on the ground, he needs to have some big runs, especially early in this game. If this stays, you know, a inside run, inside run, inside run, that is where the Ravens will struggle because they have struggled at that all year and they have played not great even run defenses and they still haven't really gotten the running game on track. Pittsburgh allowing 68.8 yards per game on the ground. And if the Ravens cannot establish the run and become this Lamar's throwing the ball 40, 45 times, that has never been the recipe for of success for this team. So I, I want Lamar to be very, very careful, uh, but find the edge early in this game. Try to stretch out this Pittsburgh defense a little bit. Fear his, his legs, basically, in that game. Um, and then hopefully that can open up some of the interior running. I'm going to turn now to the other side of the ball, uh, when Ben Roethlisberger has the ball and we have to decide which of these weapons to cover. We have to decide how many, seven guys on a blitz, eight guys on a blitz, nine guys on a blitz. What are the Ravens going to do? What should, what do you think they should do? Um, 
defensively and specifically at least starting off in terms of how to get pressure on Roethlisberger and how to bring him to the ground, which has been a Ravens and an NFL issue really for Roethlisberger's entire career. Yeah, that one goes without saying. You got to tackle the guy. I mean, you got to tackle him. You can't hip check him. You can't shoulder check him. Wrap him and bring his body to the ground. Wrap the arm up, whatever you got to do. Um, it, it's funny. You, you talk about Lamar, and it, this has a point for our defense, I, I promise. But you, you, you nail it with, with big runs for him opens everything else up. It, it makes the defense nervous. It's that added extra thing that they have to worry about. You know, the pressure rate on Lamar is up 8% this year for, through the first six games of the season. And allowing him to make big plays will decrease the pressure on the offensive line and pass protection and even in the run game on the regular runs. The Steelers don't have that. The Steelers have a ton of weapons, but they do not have an incredibly mobile quarterback, especially now at his age in Roethlisberger. Obviously, you can get around, scramble around the pocket. You can't let him do that. This is where we find out, I think, and maybe it's a little early because Yannick just got there, but let's see if they can blitz with four. Let's see if they can contain him with four because guess what? I have complete faith that the Ravens secondary can handle these weapons. I really do. I I think Marlon Humphrey is going to put Juju in his back pocket, and that's going to be his game. Marcus Peters is going to take away Deontay Johnson. I'm I'm legitimately confident in that. This this is the side of the ball that I'm way more confident in, which is weird to say when I started this entire podcast with saying the Ravens don't have a defense as good as everybody thinks it is. If the Ravens can get pressure and, like Jay says, not just quarterback hits – but bring him to the ground, fluster him, bull rush him up the middle, make him move outside where Judon's after him and Gakwe's after him, and force turnovers. That's what this team does. What is it, 18 or 19 straight games now, the Ravens have a turnover. Continue that, win the turnover battle, and if the offense is executing and keeping the ball safe, that opens up the lane for victory way easier than it would uh, if, if it was going the other way. So the Ravens have we talk about the Steelers playmakers right they they've got them all over the field Claypool had a bad game last week but he's an up-and-comer Juju Deontay Johnson whatever I don't think James Conner is that good you stop that run game you stop James Conner you make them throw the ball and then your playmakers come to play get in his face intimidate him the entire time and if our guy if our corners are up to snuff and are playing at their top level like they do so so often it's going to be very tough for their passing game. I think the defense again, and again, we've seen it against inferior opponents recently. I think the defense again could step up in a big way. And this is the way this team wins this football game. It's not the offense lighting everybody up. It's the defense shutting down to an extent at the very least, this Steelers offense. Well, and we have seen the Steelers can get bogged down at times. They're tw- uh, 21st in the league in yards. So they're hardly, you know, as much as, their weapons seem impressive. They can like just kind of stall out at times. And you know, how much is that Roethlisberger coming back from injury? He definitely doesn't seem to maybe be going, you know, as deep as maybe he once did. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm there with you. I, I, I think it's a fascinating first game to have in Cause you wonder how much he's up to speed, but I do think a guy like that is why it's so crucial. Cause you know, we've seen in the, like Ben Roethlisberger is really good. Uh, right he's still pretty good uh, even coming back from a major injury he's a smart guy a smart quarterback um and he's not afraid to take hits never has been probably never will be uh and 
I'm going to be very frustrated to play against them. The Ravens haven't had to do this in a while. First time in basically two years they played Ben Roethlisberger. Um, so a lot of these guys haven't seen him in a long time, and I think it definitely will be a big challenge. But, you know, I we've talked about it. You, you can, it's, it's fine if the Ravens, you know, blow out, got teams like the Bengals or Washington or the Eagles. Uh, not that they did, but. You know, uh, these are the games, right? You want to see how your defense plays. They got completely shredded against Kansas City. Now this is the next big step up in competition with, uh, you know, a team that has, I guess, comparable talent. Not, you know, obviously on that Kansas City level, but certainly a cut above talent-wise. And um, it's going to be up to the defense, I think, to come to play because I just don't know how much, honestly, to your point, Tim, on forcing the turnovers... I don't know how much offense the Ravens are going to have in this game offensively. So, um, yeah, I think it, uh, we'll see. Uh, it's another big game to prove themselves. Uh, and if they get shredded again, that will be incredibly disappointing. <laughs> I think another quick thing, too, because we don't talk about it a lot. We don't have to talk about Justin Tucker. He'll be fine. But you have a rookie kick returner and you have a rookie punt returner. Those guys cannot screw up with the ball. Antonio says it over and over and it's over the again. School, it's the Antonio Barbera school of return games. Don't fair, drop the ball. <laughs> don't drop the ball. Fair catch it if you have to, whatever it is. But if you can get any explosive plays that way too for field position, I mean, look, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just a new Ravens fan and you maybe came in with the Lamar Jackson era and you're like, offense, 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 this is great. You haven't seen an AFC North battle yet. I this game might finish nine to six. Like I, I, I'm I'm ready for that because I think the defense is up to the challenge, and I have faith that this team, even though they're being favored, this team knows that they still have this mantra: we can't win the big one, and they are going to be hungry as ever. It's Harbaugh coming off a bye, by the way, which is I don't know the stats on it, but I know they're very good. Uh, I know the exact stats anyway. This team is going to be well-prepared, and you just hope that it translates onto the field on Sunday, man. uh, We're talking about it. It's too far away. As you're saying this, I'm quite literally going back and forth between, like, the goosebumps and getting jacked up for this game. And then Jay starts talking about Roethlisberger, and I'm, like, rubbing my temples already annoyed at the four, five, six, seven plays he makes in that game that are going to absolutely drive me crazy. Uh... I, for some reason, I don't view this as a low-scoring, slugfest type of classic uh, Ravens-Steelers, like 15-14, to 17-14 game. I, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a blowout either, but the Ravens will get a turnover. That will happen. The Ravens will probably give the ball up a few times. I kind of view this more in, like, the middle 20s kind of thing, like a 27-24, which is not a crazy scoring game, but... Um, I am I am very concerned about the, the a few things really, but Roethlisberger being Roethlisberger, I'm concerned about the Steelers taking a lead in this game. I do not want to lose Marcus Peters in like the second quarter when he's frustrated by a couple of plays that don't go his way in a big game and he starts acting weird. I'm afraid of Lamar trying to make too many big plays in a marquee matchup when they're down 10 points in the second quarter when they could just keep doing what what they're doing. I have very little confidence in the offensive game plan if they fall behind 7 points, if they fall behind 10 points, because this is what we've talked about over and over again. When they have struggled, 
it's because they essentially abandon the run game when they're down by two scores very early in a football game. And against a Pittsburgh team that is probably going to shut the run down, at least in part, at least early in the game, I'm, I'm concerned. I, I, I have some concerns. Uh, last thing before we get into our picks, guys. Looking at the intangibles, you already talked, Tim, about uh, Justin Tucker. We talked about the bye, which is a big deal, especially having two weeks to prepare for a division opponent that you already know pretty well. But um, if you want, I guess we can use this as the sort of teaser into your pick on this game. Anything else, any other comments on this game, things that have to go well, and then uh, Ravens, minus three and a half, hosting Pittsburgh, who you got? We said this um, earlier in the show, but the Pittsburgh Steelers are not going undefeated. And that is why, (laughs) more than anything else, why I am picking the Baltimore Ravens in this game. I don't know what's happening. I, I, I don't know what's happening. I cannot believe Jace Evans is doing this, but run with it, Jace. Run with it. The Pittsburgh Steelers are not the 85 Bears. They're a good team. They're not, you know, we've mentioned it. Their offense can bog down. They're, they're, they're just good at things, but they're not, like, especially... Their defense is really good. They're number one in yards against, but they still have allowed some points. They're eighth in points, uh, or they're eighth in points scored. Excuse me, I'm looking at us. Uh, they're, they're seventh in points allowed, which is a little, you know, a, a bit of a disparity via their yards allowed. So... There's, they allow shenanigans to go on. They've played a bunch of close games. I don't know. I just think, this, I I don't see, when I watch the Steelers team, as good as the defense is, I don't see, you know, how great they are. And if they don't lose to us, who are they going to lose to? They got to lose to someone, right? This team's not going like 14-2, and two, I don't think. But, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But I, I just think that they got to lose at some point. And what better point? than a game in Baltimore with a few fans in the stands. Uh, Team coming off a bye. The Ravens coming off a bye. And for the Ravens, you know, this is the game you have to show up. If you want to prove your... Realistically, if you want any chance to win the AFC North this year, you have to win this game. As you're already, you know, a half game behind. uh, Or a game behind, I guess. But, um, so if they want to win the AFC North, they have to win this game. If they want to attempt to uh, shake their choker label uh, in big games. They have to win this game. Uh, and I think they will. I think, I just think I, it, it seems like a prime opportunity for the Steelers to lose. And so I'm riding with the Ravens, including the three and a half. I was going to even go with the four, but then as we mentioned, the line keeps dropping. That's the only concern I have. I really wish the Steelers were favored in this game that I'd feel the Ravens were a lock, but despite being favored, I still think the Ravens are going to win this contest. Oh, <laughs> it's funny. We do this and every week we do this. I convince myself that the Ravens are going to win, but being favorites against the team that's currently undefeated is too much for me. So because of that, I'm taking Pittsburgh plus three and a half. Um, and you know what? If I was a gambler, I'd be bad at it. So maybe this is just reverse jinxing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Give me, Give me the Ravens to win, but it's a three-point game. Justin Tucker field goal late. So, Ravens win by three. Pittsburgh covers. Pittsburgh plus three and a half. Yeah, if we're looking at this from a line perspective, when it was six and a half, five and a half. I'm slamming Pittsburgh. I was going to, yeah, lean very heavily. The one thing we, I don't think we've brought up, and I wish I had the exact stat in front of me, but I do this part-time, guys, so I don't do this nine to five. These games are always close. 
they're statistically always close. I think the average like margin in the last 20 years of these games is essentially seven points. It is going to be very, very close. This feels like a field goal game that if the Ravens win, as Tim just mentioned, it's a field goal by Tucker late to either make it a 21-20, turns into a 23-21 kind of win, or it's a tie game and they take a field goal late to win it. So with that, as a purely value perspective, I'm taking Pittsburgh at plus 3.5. I'm still sticking, even though they've moved a few points down. I think there's a very, very good chance Pittsburgh wins this game, and I think there's an even greater chance that if the Ravens win, it's by a field goal. I'm taking Pittsburgh plus three and a half, and in the back, back of my mind, and as a Ravens fan, I'm hoping that the Ravens instead win this comfortably. As we move to the other uh, gambling picks this week, I just wanted to note very quickly, I was successful on my three-team tees last week, my only uh, wager that I made, and I'm not 13-3 and three on the season, guys, so for the listener out there, Time to dive in because it can only go downhill from here. I have one other pick outside of the Ravens game, and that is, yet again, another three-team teaser. I am taking the Packers, who are six-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, I forgot to pull this up. So if one of you has their opponent top of mind, yeah, please shout it out. Yeah, you're talking about Green Minnesota. Bay. They're playing Minnesota. Yeah. Hosting Minnesota. I'm moving that line down from six-and-a-half to half a point. The Titans are going to Cincinnati. Titans are good, Cincinnati. Not yet. That line is minus 5.5, so I'm moving that to Titans plus 0.5. And then this Steelers game, because as a value perspective, it looks too enticing. I'm taking the Steelers, and I'm moving that from plus 3.5 to plus (laughs) 9.5. I don't think there's any chance that the Steelers lose this game by double digits. So it's Packers minus half a point, Titans plus half a point, and Steelers plus nine and a half, three team tees, and we're rolling. Um, I'll just jump in here because the two of the teams uh, you chose, the other two teams you chose for your teaser, are, I am just taking outright. I'm taking the Titans minus the five and a half and the uh, the Packers uh, line at uh, minus six and a half. Um, I'm back on the Packers train. Uh, it took me one. I was off it for one week. I'm back on. Uh, similarly, I... The Titans line, a little fishy. It seems too obvious, so that always concerns me. But uh, I should also just, as a disclaimer, say I'm on a current O for six runs. So <laughs> perhaps... Just a matter of time, Jace. Just a matter of time before you turn things around. If you've been using my recommendations to use actual money, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got Packers and Titans and uh, of course your Baltimore Ravens getting in the win column and the cover column this week. <laughs> Confident Jace terrifies me. Um, I, I'll I be say... a wreck on the floor two minutes into Sunday. Oh yeah. Game. <laughs> oh, I mean, how else would you watch a Ravens game? I don't know how you do that. Um, I I will admit, yeah, I'm also not doing great. I did win my Green Bay bet last week, but lost Seattle, and then I picked Dallas because. I can't help myself. Um, I Like I mentioned, Pittsburgh. I don't love the board this week, but I also have Tennessee minus five and a half away to Cincy. It's just, you know, Tennessee might not be good as, as good as five and one, but it's Derrick Henry versus that defense. So he's just going to run for a billion yards and score a billion touchdowns. So just, yeah, I'll take that. Fine. It seems easy to me, but again, it's sneaky for a reason. I don't love a ton of other stuff on here. You know, 
we haven't at time of recording we haven't seen the la rams play on monday night football yet but miami at home plus three and a half against the la rams if two a time is really two a time if it's actually a thing and as an home dog might not be the worst thing to take them especially now um we'll see obviously that line will probably move based on what happens in the monday night football game after we record this uh so i won't pick that one so i just said screw it and went for because i don't do the teases and i went for one of the biggest lines i've ever seen in a professional football game but i'm taking it anyway give me kansas city at arrowhead against the giants they are 19 and a half point favorites and i'm taking kc all the way it's yeah. a line not seen in basketball games, and yet we have one in an NFL football game against the woeful New York Jets. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll have to say on the Jets is I read they gained four yards in the second half of a very winnable game against the Buffalo Bills for them on Sunday, so that's where they're at. Uh, <laughs> could be better. Could be better. <laughs> All right. We have just the random Raven to answer here. So, Jace, why don't you uh, run through those clues one more time? Yeah, so this player played for the Ravens for three seasons from 2013 to 2015. He never missed a game in his time with the Ravens, starting all 50 possible contests, including playoffs. With Baltimore, he registered 371 tackles, five interceptions, one being a pick six. Uh, He forced seven fumbles and had nine sacks. He signed with the Ravens as a free agent in 2013 after spending the first nine seasons of his career with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who drafted him in the second round in 2004. And finally, the linebacker who went to Georgia Tech moved on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for his final season in 2016 after he was cut by the Ravens following the 2015 season. I mean, this one, we said, yeah, he filled, I think we both, Antonio and I have it, so we're giving the listener just an extra second. That would be Daryl Smith, the old linebacker who played very well. Wore another uh, defensive number ending in one, the 51. Very strong number, I think, in my personal power rankings there. But, yeah, Daryl Smith, I believe, is is your random Raven this week. Yes, indeed. Daryl Smith. uh, I believe he wore 51 because he had worn 52 with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, obviously, that uh, was not going to happen when he came into Baltimore. Um, So, yeah, I remember liking this player. He was very good. I... As I mentioned earlier in the show, did not recall how good he was. Those numbers were certainly eye-popping. Didn't miss a start. Um, You know, he was older when they cut him, but I don't know. I I can't remember in hindsight why they let him go, if it was a cap situation or what the deal was. But, yeah, Daryl Smith. I mean, really a a kind of perfect pickup uh, by Ozzie Newsom. He was coming off a season where he was kind of injured, so they got him on the cheap. Uh, and you look at that production for three seasons. It's hard to argue with that. that a, that's about as good as free agent pickups come. So, yeah. Daryl Smith, your random Raven this week. And a guy, as I mentioned, I was stunned we hadn't done yet. Because he seems truly, kind of... <laughs> truly shocking that we had not covered him yet. I, I guess we viewed him as more of like a solid Raven than a random. Yeah, yeah but... I, I guess uh, I wasn't sure even if he qualified because he was, you know, 50 game started every single game he played for the franchise. But... Well, we're hitting the bottom of the barrel, so everybody's going to start qualifying. Soon there's going to be one Edward Reed. <laughs> he uh, played Jace, for the... Thank you, uh, thank you for that random Raven. And guys, that's all, that's all we have this week. It is Steelers week. Wear your purple and black. Get out there. We still have uh, five... Days, I guess, a time of, not time of recording, but time of publish, time of listen, Uh, five days to go for 
a game I think all three of us are very, very excited for, and a true test for this Baltimore team coming off of their bye with two weeks to prepare. Go Ravens. Uh, that's all I'll say. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.